grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I heard a friend talking to a couple of boys about being coachable. And he said to them, one of your best assets growing up is going to be how coachable you are. When you think about that, being coachable is a good thing. It means you're willing to listen, you're willing to learn, you're willing to let someone wiser than you help show you the way. And when you look at the difference between Mary and Martha, you see that contrast. Well, Martha had a lot going on, and she was distracted by many things, and they weren't necessarily bad things. She's trying to take care of the house and the dinner and the preparations for her Lord. Surely she's serving him, but the difference is in Mary, who has a coachable attitude. She's at the feet of her Lord. She's willing to listen. She's willing to learn. So the book of Proverbs says this is the very starting point to everything. It's the theme of the book of Proverbs in all wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Are you coachable? Some of the wisest mind have tried to figure out where wisdom is to be found. You can think of Socrates who said... I know only one thing, that I know nothing. Socrates was on to something here. And what he meant by I know nothing is that if you think you already know the answers, then you're not going to learn anything. The wisdom of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle had that sense of a willingness to learn. In the ancient East, philosophy was seen as a quest. You're on a journey, a quest to find treasure. And that treasure is truth. That treasure is wisdom. That treasure is understanding. And all the time, these philosophers, and the word philosophy means to love wisdom, they were getting close. They were getting close. But on their search and on their quest, they seem to always be missing something. They seem to keep up coming up short, or right when they were about to hit on it, they'd miss the mark. They were missing this one thing, which comes out of the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which means that if you are on that quest, you cannot take the first step until you understand this passage. Till you understand the Lord. You'll get close. You might find a generic God. You might find an abstract truth. You might find generally good advice. And you can page through the book of Proverbs and find good practical advice for everyday living. But you're going to miss out on the one thing needed. Who is the Lord? The book of Proverbs focuses us in not on a generic God, but the Lord. The Lord of the covenant, the Lord of the Old Testament, our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is our quest. So how does this phrase, the fear of the Lord, actually show itself? What's the meaning of it, and how does it play out in our lives? 
First, from Psalm 33, verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. What is being imagined in this passage? Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. You can imagine what this means. It means every creature in all earth and heaven is under the Lord. It means that you are not in charge of your own circumstances, of your own surroundings, and even of the events that are unfolding in your lives. You are like the disciples out on the sea during a storm, and you're a bit terrified to find out this news that you don't have any control over what's going to happen next. It's a bit terrifying, and that's what the word fear means. It means to be afraid. But it means more than that. And a lot of it depends on how you view God. Who is God? You could think of a teenager, a boy, who runs away from home. Teenage boy runs away from home. He goes out. He doesn't know where he's going. He just wants to get away. And after one night in the woods alone, he realizes he's not going to make it, and he has to come home. When he comes home to his father, after having run away, what does he expect? What's he anticipating? What is he feeling? In the story of the prodigal son, a son runs away from home and then comes back. But in the process, he dishonors his father, he spends all his goods on worldly living, he disgraces his family, he's broke alone, and when he returns, this is what he says, I will become like one of his slaves. That's fear. That's a fear and trembling at returning, knowing he's going to have to face his father when he gets back. I'll become like one of his slaves, he says. To fear someone means to acknowledge that you are in the presence of a higher power. You are not free to do what you wish, and your freedom is not your own. There's two ways that this could materialize for the boy that runs away. It depends on what his father is like, and it depends on why he ran away. When you look at fear, it depends a lot on who you're fearing. Let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of the Lord. There can be a lot of different reasons that the inhabitants of earth and all the creatures of creation stand in awe of the Lord, tremble at his presence. They can be scared. They can be in awe. They can be worshiping. Fear can be terror. Fear can be respect. For example, my dad tended to strike a sense of fear into people who did not know him. I remember several students from my freshman religion class when my dad was teaching freshman religion at Emmanuel Lutheran College in high school, having these students who were dreadfully afraid of him. Kind of like 
One time I was a young boy in school in Austin, Minnesota, and my dad was part in a play we put on doing The Wizard of Oz. And my dad was the voice behind the curtain with a deep, booming voice. He played a great part doing The Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. And so in that classroom, he was kind of like the wizard behind the curtain, and the students wouldn't goof off, they wouldn't mess around, they respected him, but why? Now, on the other hand, I knew the same person, my dad, as the guy who gave me a ride home from the school bus on a lawnmower and watched Sesame Street with me and made me hot dogs and cut them up, who jokes around the dinner table, who other people know him as a pretty soft-hearted guy. Because when he steps out from behind that curtain, he's really a pretty easygoing person. When the Lord God wants our awe and respect, he first of all does want us to respect the man behind the curtain. He comes to Mount Sinai with thunder and lightning because he knows the first thing, the beginning of wisdom, is that people have to pay attention to who God really is. His total omnipotent power. The most powerful being in all the universe with supreme and total control our maker, so that when we come to him, we know right away we're not in charge, we're not in control, and we can come only in one way, in repentance, which is why Proverbs 8 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. So the basic meaning is to exalt God in your mind and heart as the highest power in heaven and earth and the most important figure in your lives. This means that the very beginning, at the outset of the quest, you're saying he is more important than anything else. That's the first thing. More important than your job and career when you're needed at home. More important than your bank account when you're checking it more often than you're praying. More important than your friendships when they're inviting you to sin or lie or cheat. More important than your desire to please and make others like you when you're ignoring how much God values you. More important than your kids' sporting events when they're taking place on Sunday morning. More important than personal happiness at the expense of others. More important than your feelings, your ideas, when they disagree with the word. And so it comes to total submission of oneself, the whole self, the sacrifice of everything you have and know and want, in order to serve and please him. Now, if you've come to that point, the starting point, before you've even taken a second step, now you can see something more. Okay, Lord, you're in charge. You're in charge of everything. I've wandered off. Maybe I've even ran away. What will we do now? 
We come to him like Moses with our sandals off, saying, this is holy ground. And who is speaking to us? Every Sunday we're coming to the Lord. And every Sunday we're coming home. We're coming home every Sunday to the man who steps out from behind the curtain. God steps out from behind the curtain. And we find a father in that story who's not sitting back and waiting for that son to come so he can whip him, who's running out down the road when he sees him coming, embraces him, puts a robe on him, brings him home for a feast. Like my father one time, when I had to tell him that I had lied, and the first thing he said was, I forgive you. That is our Heavenly Father. So listen to these passages about the fear of the Lord. Psalm 33, we read, let all the earth fear the Lord. But then in verse 18, it says, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Psalm 103. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Psalm 34. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you saints. There is no want to those who fear him. Psalm 86, teach me your way, O Lord, I will walk in your truth, unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you with all my heart, I will glorify your name forever, for great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from shale. And finally, Psalm 130, but there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. Notice how the scriptures tie together the fear of the Lord with the love of the Lord. That fearing the Lord in the scriptures means to know the God who forgives, the Father who embraces us, the King who steps down from his throne to be put up on a cross, Jesus, and the Father who provided the sacrifice. So the fear of the Lord encompasses everything in your life, including that sense of trembling before the one who made heaven and earth, but then filling your heart also with faith and love and hope in the one who had mercy on you, who forgives you. Something that Socrates and Plato and Aristotle never discovered. And the results of this are staggering. They are life-changing. The results of this is a submission of yourself willingly, a sacrifice of everything you are because of how great he is. And it's only possible because he forgives you through his covenant of love, through baptism, through daily repentance, through listening to his word, through trusting him, This is truly what good parenting is all about. 
Because if all God is is rules, without relationship, we'll be lost in the wrong kind of fear and legalism. But if his is a relationship that leads to rules, then it results in proper fear and honor of the Holy Spirit. We need the God who is holy. We need the God who loves. And in both, we find our Father. This is why the book of Proverbs introduces each section with a father talking to his son. Father and son. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen.